Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Hey, we are in part two of our series simply titled Love Your Neighbor. And today I want to discuss uh, this portion of scripture um, where Jesus actually teaches on this. Uh, if you have your scripture with you, uh, open them to Luke 10. Words will eventually be on the screen as well. But before we get there, I did want to talk about how we do this corporately again as a body. We kind of began this discussion last week. Restoration has a simple twofold mission. We exist to know God. That is simply that we desire that everybody is developed into Christ likeness here. That's what Christians talk about evangelism. We talk, or discipleship, I'm sorry. When we talk about discipleship, we are talking about how we desire you to be conformed into the image of God, to become like Christ. And so we exist to know God. And we exist then to make him known, which means that we are an invitational community, inviting our community into life with Christ, or that is what Christians call evangelism or missions. If you belong to Restoration Church, this is what you belong to. Just think about that for a minute. If you belong to Restoration Church, this is what you belong to. This is why we exist as a church. Restoration does not have membership. We have partners. We decided years ago to ditch the membership language, to ditch that, uh, the system of gaining members because it feels exclusive and passive often. I think of my BJ's membership or the various gym memberships I've had throughout the years. Uh, you know, they, <clears throat> BJ's doesn't care what I think about their policies. They want my money. Right. I, the only reason that I partner, the only way that I partner with BJ's and helping them accomplish their mission is that I give them money to do so. Right. It's the consumption that they're selling me. It's the same with gym memberships, the same with country clubs. Unfortunately, it's often the same with the church. You may have heard these statistics before. 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church. That's not, of course, not true of every single church in the world, but it's generally true of churches. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the resources. This includes volunteering and giving. We have worked hard over the years at changing this statistic, inviting every single person into the body of Christ to do the work that God has uniquely equipped them to do. And yet... It's hard for churches to buck this trend, to get over this hump of the 2080 rule. We have incredible volunteers, but if you look at the list of people who sign up time and time again to do things around here, if you look at the list of people who are signing up for groups time and time again, you're going to find the same people more often than not signing up time and time again to continue to do the work of Restoration Church. And I don't say any of this to shame any of you. I don't say any of this to condemn or to guilt anybody into doing anything that God is not calling them to do. I just want you to be aware. Because if you're not aware, then you can't change, right? If you're not aware, then you can't do anything differently about it. See, like BJ's, like gym goers, membership often means frequent consumption and not active partnership in a mission. So we determined that we were going to be a body in movement and that every person that called Restoration Church home would have an active role in the movement of Restoration Church. So we don't have passive exclusive membership. We have active, inclusive partners 
helping to direct where restoration is going. In fact, you know, oftentimes, you know, members will be like, well, what's the benefit of membership? Well, I get to vote. I'm like, that's really cool. That's fun, right? You get to vote on things, right? But this past March, you know, we were casting a vision for the next 10 years of Restoration Church. And so I invited 50 of our partners to come along with us and say, where is restoration going in the next 10 years? We, partners, the body of Christ, we get to guide this together under God's leadership. Where is restoration going? It's not just me. This isn't just about me and Emily. This isn't just about our staff. This is a body of Christ working together to accomplish the mission that God has called us to do. And so we determined that a partner of restoration was exhibiting five unique actions that are necessary in helping us accomplish a vision of knowing God and making him known in community. That a partner would be someone who is praying regularly for restoration and for our community, that they are serving, that they are sharing about the gospel, the love of Christ, but also what restoration is doing within their community. They're giving to the cause financially, and that they're growing intentionally in community with others here at Restoration Church. So if you're already not partnering with the restoration, we want to invite you to begin partnering with restoration, not only because it will ensure that restoration thrives in accomplishing this mission, but it'll also serve you. I believe it'll also serve you. Here's why partnering, I think, is so important in a local church community. When I was 18 years old, I was in the best shape of my life. Anybody else say that? <laughs> that was over 20 years ago. I was in the best shape of my life. I was playing baseball still. I um I had... my. Out of my out of my seven, this is before block scheduling in high school. Out of my seven classes, four of them were gym classes. That's a, that was my senior year, right? That's just how I I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna whatever. It's, it's the wheels and blades and badminton and I was doing all sorts of fun things, conditioning every single day. That's all I was doing is being active and my metabolism as an 18 year old, of course, was on fire. And so I was healthy. I was in the best shape of my life. And then I went off to college. And the frequency and the and the availability of the gym wasn't as it was in high school. And I had a buffet, three meals a day at my disposal. And so, like, what I, what I discovered eventually was that I just began to atrophy. I, just, I didn't put my muscles to use. And they got smaller and they got weaker. And I still haven't put them to use all that much in the last 22 years. And so I began to atrophy. And then, you know, every now and then, and Emily can attest to this, right, I would have a community around me, like, Ross, you should come and work out with me, or I'd sign up for a, a mud run or something. I'd be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape. And so I'd do that for like six months, and then I, I would get strong again, and I would enter a season where I would begin to grow in my strength, and then that would be over, and I would begin to atrophy again. Right, I, I, would, buy the, I would buy the equipment, and then I wouldn't use it. And I would begin to atrophy again. What I just described is a lot of people's spiritual journeys. Not their physical journey, it was their spiritual journeys. I was strong until I was about 18 years old, and then I went away, and I had other priorities, and habits began to form, and life got busy, and my commitment to Christ atrophied. And I would dabble here and there, and you know, I'd come back to church for a season. When things got hard, I'd ask for prayer. There's always this like nagging voice in the back of my head saying that, you know, I know it's good for me. I know I should be there. I know I should make this a priority. I don't like the way I feel when I'm not close to Christ or I feel like I'm drifting. And when I drift away from Christ, I always drift towards selfishness. I feel like my attitudes are, are, are getting worse. I feel like I'm angrier around my children. I feel like I am drifting. I feel like I am atrophying in my faith journey. 
Do you know what happens when a garden is never attended to? It becomes wild and unruly and full of weeds, right? The fruit, if it does produce any at all, is small and insignificant and bug-infested usually, and eventually that garden is going to die. One, rise, one reason that we believe everybody should partner with us is because partnership will keep you from spiritual atrophy. It will help keep you from spiritual atrophy. And when you drift from Jesus, my friends, you drift towards selfishness, and selfishness always hurts others, and it always hurts you. And so everybody should be a partner in their local church. I believe this. And it's easy coming from the pastor. Yeah, I get that, right? I'm supposed to say things like that. But I truly believe that everybody should partner with their local church. Because growing in Christ's likeness is the source of abundant life. Growing in generosity is the source of greater contentment. And sharing Christ's life and seeing people respond is a joy, my friends, that is unmatched. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you've led them to Christ? That is like one of the greatest elations that you'll ever experience. Last week, we launched a digital campaign for you to take steps towards partnership if this is something that you're interested in doing. As of this morning, 30 of 100 commitments have been made, and so I want to thank you for that. First of all, it's a great response in the first week. Nine, nine um, people began uh, committed to begin or increase their financial giving to Restoration Church. And just so you know, um, we decreased our budget this year, um, and we still haven't met our budget consistently from month to month. Um, again, you just need to be aware of that, right? You, nothing can change if our body is not aware of the situation that we're in. I'm not worried about that, by the way. I believe God just got us in the care of his hands, and so I'm not concerned about that at all. I discussed, however, the 2080 rule, and here is how that 2080 rule applies to Restoration Church. Just for your fascination, perhaps, I found this very fascinating. We have 100 units that give regularly to restoration. First of all, that's to hit 100 people who consistently give. Incredible, right? But here's what's so so interesting. 10% of our givers give 50% of our total funding. 3% of our givers give 25% of our total funding. And So first, I want to thank you. If you give anything financially to the cause of Christ here, thank you, thank you, thank you so very much. But if specifically for those 10 units, we would not exist without these 10 families. And that's just a reality. If these 10 families decided to move away, we would have a really, really hard time existing within our community to continue to do the work that we're doing. So thank you so much for your contribution to the cause of Christ here. I know we're in a season of capital giving. I know that Be Rich is coming up. I know that we ask a lot of you here. And I know how generous this body is. I simply want you to be aware because we are a body, and if one part of the body is struggling, then the whole body struggles. Beyond giving, there are five people who have committed to begin serving. At some point, probably in the new year, we're going to experiment with a second service of some sort, and we're going to need specifically more RC Kids volunteers. But there are so many ways to serve here at Restoration Church, so many ways to satisfy that passion in you that lies dormant because you go to a job that doesn't scratch that itch on your day-to-day basis, but there are opportunities here for you to find your passion and to live into your passion and to do something that's going to bring you alive, even if what you do from the day-to-day doesn't able, isn't able to do that. Knowing, and I want you to know this, that when you serve the local church that is on mission to change its community, to bring the kingdom of God to its community, when you serve the local church, you are serving a cause that changes lives and that shapes the scope of eternity for individuals and for people and for families. 
It's not just that you're a, a body in a room doing a task. You are changing lives. Your role is so significant. I don't care what you do. If you help make Restoration Church a reality, then every story of life change that comes out of Restoration Church is also your story because you are a contributor to that story. Thank you for those who serve here at Restoration Church. There are eight people who have chosen to pray for our community specifically. We uh, handed out these cards last week. These cards are also available to you this morning if you didn't get one. I would really, really encourage you to take one of these. Write your neighbors, write your communities, write the people that you know are far from Jesus around your house and be praying for your community. There are instructions about how you might do that on the back. Super, super easy. Put this on your dashboard. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it somewhere where you know that you will see it regularly so that you are in prayer for the people that you are bumping shoulders with all the time. There are three people who have chosen to be an inviter and specifically to, to share their faith with their community, to be bold about that. There's a lot of ways that you can passively invite people to all things Restoration Church, by the way. We have yard signs in the back. We have T-shirts. We have hats. We have all sorts of things that have our logo on them that, are well, that you are welcome to take and, and start talking about Restoration Church, what God has done through you at Restoration Church. That applies. But certainly I would encourage you that when you have an opportunity, be prepared with the hope that you have in Christ. When there is someone who is talking about the hardships that they're going through or the struggles or the troubles or whatever it may be, the, 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 the life that they're living that always, always bumps up against some challenge because we live in a broken world. Everybody is experiencing challenges of some sort in one way or another. And so I would always encourage you to be prepared with the hope that you have in Christ. We are not inviting people into religion. We are inviting people into hope and for forgiveness and to abundant life. And then the last one is that there are some people who have chosen to begin growing in community. All of our courses, as mentioned this morning, are now available and they're open. We have a discipleship pathway, starting point, story of a story one and two, which will walk you through the story of scripture. A course called Discover Your, Your Design, if you want to learn more about yourself and how you're uniquely wired. We have house groups that come together for a meal together, and then they, um, they, they come together to connect and to care for one another, um, to share each other's burdens, and then also to grow in their relationship with Christ. We have a ton of studies, spiritual voyages that have been talking about, men's and women's studies. Men, the men are walking through First John, women are walking through Daniel. Um, we have all these groups just about hanging out together and getting to know each other and building friendships. So many ways to connect and to grow in your faith journey here at Restoration Church. I would encourage you to go to our app and I would encourage you to go to our website under the Connect, under the connect tab because all of that is available to you now, and those will close in about two or three weeks, and so you don't have a ton of time to sign up for them. I'd encourage you to do that. There's a QR code here, which we'll leave up for a bit after the service even, so that if you are ready, you can partner with us in accomplishing the mission of Restoration Church. Now, another way of saying that we are on mission to know God and to make him known is with what Jesus said when he said that you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, right? To know God more, to know God's love more, and then to make that love known. Kind of the same thing. And one time when Jesus is teaching on this very topic, a man stood up from the crowd and he asked a question. And I think in our more honest moments, I think in our more honest moments, if we could just be honest with ourselves for just a minute, the spirit of the question resides in each one of us to some extent as well. 
I think the spirit of this man's question is actually residing in a lot of us, if we're honest. Jesus is teaching on what it means to follow God by loving him and loving others. And a man stood up who wanted to justify himself, we're told. He wanted to justify himself. Do you know that humans have a proclivity towards excuse making? All right, I see a lot of heads nodding, a lot of chuckles out there. Okay, so I know I'm not alone in this. Humans have a proclivity towards excuse making. Well, you know what? I, I, I can't fully follow Jesus and, and partner with him in his work through the local church because what are the excuses? Anybody honest enough to share one this morning? Too busy. My kids have too many activities going on. I can't be at church, therefore I can't serve. My work keeps me focused somewhere else. My money is tied up in paying off debt. I'm exhausted. I can't commit to a group at night. You know, I tried to read the Bible and I just got so confused and so I just gave up. I tried to pray, but I just keep falling asleep. I don't know my neighbors. My neighbors seem kind of weird, so I don't really want to get to know my neighbors. They're not my people. They're not my crowd. They're not my kind of people. This man acknowledged, perhaps, that he didn't love God well. He wasn't fully on mission with God, and so he wanted to find an excuse to get him off of the hook. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to discover a loophole, a way of understanding his responsibility that made him... I don't know, less responsible. Do you know one of the excuses a lot of people use that I hear all the time, specifically about their their church attendance and, and partnership? Well, you know, I can just be a Christian and not be part of the church. Do I have to really be part of the church? Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? You guys ever asked that question yourself, maybe? Do you know anybody who's ever asked that question? Yeah, I, I heard it this week, actually. It wasn't asked of me, but I, but I overheard it. I can be a Christian, but not be part of the church. And that's true to some extent. Our salvation rests on our confession that we are sinners and our trust that Christ has paid for the price of sin through his shed blood and he has offered us forgiveness. But do you know what happens to a muscle when it's not exercised? Do you know what happens to a garden that isn't attended to? Do you know what happens to a relationship that isn't pursued? Do you know what happens to faith that isn't practiced? It atrophies and it dies. You see, this man was full of excuses as to why he didn't live out his love for God. And in order to make himself feel better, he asked, Yeah, but Jesus, really, who is my neighbor? See, to the Jews listening in on this teaching, the answer was obvious. They understood from the reading of Leviticus, where this law came from, to love God with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself, that they were not to seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Does anybody see a loophole in this? Anybody find an excuse as to why you, shouldn't, why you don't need to love your neighbor in this? Read it closely. Anybody see a loophole? To the Jews, it was obvious. If you're an excuse maker, then you don't have to love every neighbor. You just have to love your people. 
All you have to love is your people. For the Jews, that meant the Jews, but we're in the melting pot of America here, and so we can define our people by whoever we want, can't we? My people are my friends. My people are the neighbors that I like. Uh, my neighbors are the coworkers that I like. My neighbors are the people that are in my in-crowd, in my crowd. And so here's really the man's question, if you think about it. How little can I love others but still have a genuine love for God? I mean, that's really at the heart of the man's question. How little can I love others but still have a genuine love for God? How little can I love but still be on God's good side? How selfish can I be but still be okay with God? These are really at the heart of the question this guy is asking. And in very Jesus fashion, he answers him by telling a brilliant story that we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And here's how it goes. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, when Jesus mentioned this road, everybody probably started sharing stories about this journey. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, my brother was walking down that road last week. And, you know, he got ambushed, too. So, yeah, I totally get it. You know, oh, I was I was on that road last year and just three men just ran up around me and robbed me of everything I had. And so everybody had stories about this road going down to Jericho. It was a very, very dangerous road. Ambushes like this were happening all the time. So it was nothing new. Jesus audience understood this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very dangerous journey. Jerusalem sits 2,400 2, feet above sea level. Jericho sits 800 feet below sea level. It's the lowest city on the face of the earth. It's a 15-mile journey through rocky, windy roads. There are, at times, steep, steep cliffs edges on one side and cavernous rocks on the other. And so robbers and thieves, you know, they would hide in the caves waiting for passerbys, and they would jump out, and they would rob them very frequently. They would either steal everything they had and leave them for dead. And so this man was attacked by robbers and the robbers stripped him of his clothes. Clothes were very valuable in Jesus' day. And so if you're going to rob someone, you're going to take their clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. But it just so happened that a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side, that's basically saying like a pastor and a priest Walked into a bar. No, I've been in that direction, but that's kind of the same idea, right? Jesus is telling a funny joke. When they saw the man in need, the pastor and the priest, when they saw the man in need, they intentionally went out of their way to avoid him. And the crowd listening probably began to make excuses. Well, of course they did. Nobody stops to help people on that road unless you're part of a caravan because we all know that people get ambushed on that road all of the time. It's a very dangerous road, so of course they didn't stop. If you stop, you're going to get ambushed. Or perhaps they thought this was just a ploy, right? The, the man could be faking it and manipulating their compassion in, in order to ambush you know, them himself. Or, or maybe they just had somewhere to be. Ever thought about that? Maybe they had priorities. Maybe they had to be somewhere, and they just could not stop to help this man because in so doing... They would be late. Or maybe they, they thought, you know, I don't have the resources to help this man, so I guess I'm not even going to try. Or, you know, they thought, hey, being a priest, being a pastor, they had ceremonial responsibilities, right? They couldn't touch blood. Certainly they couldn't touch a corpse. And so it's probably better just to keep walking because if we were to touch him, then we would be ceremonially unclean. And that would, you know, be harmful for our entire congregation. And so, of course, as a priest and a pastor, we're just going to keep on walking. But here was the real question rumbling around in all of their minds. If I stop to help this man, 
What's going to happen to me? And this is the question lurking behind every excuse we make. Self-preservation. Preserving the dream we have for ourselves and the dreams we have for our kids. You know, we sacrifice an insane amount of time and energy and money for our kids to have the best of everything and every experience possible to them. No generation in the history of the world does for our kids what we do for our kids. The status of our bank account, I got to preserve that, right? I have so many bills, I'm in so much debt, I have so many wants, I got to preserve my bank account. Our social status and popularity, I'll look weird helping that kid out. I see the kid got his books knocked down again in the hallway. I don't know. I don't want to be the kid who comes around him because everyone thinks he's a nerd. So I don't want to be that kid. Or people will think I'm being taken advantage of if I help the man on the street, right? It's the, the, the impression that we leave, right? With self-preservation. Our time, our energy, everything that we talked about last week that we are only stewards of, we try to preserve. And this is the question behind it all. If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? If we believe that we're the owner of this life, then we will make excuses as to why it should be preserved. But if we are a manager of the life that has been entrusted to us, then we will open our eyes to see how we might be generous with what was been given to us. But the story is, man, the story is not over. There was a Samaritan. Jesus continues. There was a priest and there was a pastor who did nothing to help this man, but... There was a Samaritan, and the crowd just gasped, of course. No, not the Samaritan. Don't make the Samaritan the hero of the story. Jews hated Samaritans. There's so much tension between Judea and Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. Jews wouldn't even cross through Samaria. They'd go around the region of Samaria because of how much they hated Samaritans. See, when the Assyrians way back in 700 B.C. conquered Israel, they interbred with the Jews. They conquered and created this contaminated half-breed of Jews. And everybody believed that they were outside of God's promises because they didn't have the temple and they didn't have the law. They had their different nationality, they had different ethnicity, they had a different skin color, they had different DNA. They were different than them. The idea of a good Samaritan was something to be laughed at. There was not a good Samaritan. There were no good Samaritans. There were only half-breed pigs from the north. But as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, meaning that the Samaritan walked and the man rode. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, and you're telling me that he stayed the night? Jews wouldn't even do that for other Jews, this crowd is thinking. There's no way a Samaritan would do that. Few Jews would do that. There's no way a Samaritan would do that for a Jew. Jesus, get out of here. This story is nonsense, they would say. This man took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Jesus, this is so extreme, right? Samaritans would not do this for others. We know Samaritans. They are not good people. They would not do this. Jews wouldn't even do this for one another. There's no way a Samaritan is doing this for another Jew. But the story is over. And Jesus looks at the man with all this pile of excuses that he has made. And he asks him a new question. And this is the question we have to pay attention to because it's not just for them. This question is also for every single one of us. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? 
or the question behind the question that Jesus is asking, which of these three loved the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength by loving their neighbor as themselves? Or, as we talked about last week, which of these men best expressed their love for God by loving another? And the eyes man's probably bugged out of his skull because the answer is so stupidly obvious. It's so stupidly obvious if you just take away the list of excuses. Isn't it? If you just set aside the excuses that we make, isn't the answer just so dang obvious? To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength means to love our neighbor in the same manner you love yourself. So let me ask you the question, which of these three men love God by being a neighbor? You have to be careful how you answer because you become accountable to your answer. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. I invite the band forward. We're going to sing a final song as we reflect on this for just a minute more. See, the priest and the pastor filtered their actions through their excuses. They filtered their actions through their excuses, and they found a way out of helping the man in need. And we could do it all day long, too, couldn't we? See someone in need, make an excuse as to why not meet their need. We can make excuses all day long as to why we shouldn't love our neighbor. But the Samaritan filtered his actions through God's love for him, and he realized then that he must respond likewise. In the same manner that God has loved me, I ought to love one another. Jesus told the man, go, do likewise. Go, live your life. Rest your mind and your heart on God's love for you. Fill your mind, fill your heart, your strength, your soul up with God's love for you to the point of overflowing onto the world around you. Don't make excuses as to why, because then you are making excuses for God as to why he doesn't need to love you as well. Go and be a neighbor, proving your love for God and learning to ask the better question. If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? To go and do likewise means that when you see a need, you meet it. You see the price, you pay it. And you don't talk yourself out of it. My friends, so much hangs on the balance. So much hangs in the balance of our decisions. We're a church and we're on a mission together to accomplish such incredible things, to assist God's and his redeeming work in this region of the, the, our, our community that he has entrusted us with to change the trajectory of lives, to give hope to hopelessness and despair, changing households and futures and shaping eternity itself if we don't talk ourselves out of it, if we don't make excuses as to why it can't be done, and if we have a body partnering together to see it through. I pray for this body to be so full of God's love, to know without a shadow of a doubt, and this is really what we teach in all of our courses if you've ever been through them, you will know that you are journeying further and deeper into God's love for you. That's it. Because when you become full of God's love for you, then you will learn to pour that out upon a hurting world. And so we're journeying together. I implore you, friends, to learn more of the love of God, to partner with a community so that you do not atrophy in your spirit and so that you can grow into the abundant life that Christ has for you. And I pray that the outpouring would be upon our neighborhoods and our communities, individually and corporately together, 
as we fulfill the mission God has given us.